Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Amen and amen. So family, I was very super excited last week for this message because as the Lord was reminding me the week prior, uh, Good Friday, that the upcoming week was Good Friday, I'm like, oh man, I didn't realize it was so close. But in the midst of that message preparing to let you guys know that our Savior is risen. Not that he rose, but that he is risen, meaning that he was eternally and perpetually prepared to lay his life down to pick it back up again, just like he said he would, so that we could have a way to true life. Not a life, but true life, the life, which is in Christ Jesus. So he gave me the message and he hit the nail on the head for me after Bible study, when I talked to my aunt afterwards. So to get us started, our topic for the week is circumstance does not equal permanence. And it's a really, 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 really cool topic we're going to talk about. So first, I'm going to give you guys a definition. We're going to explain it a little bit, then we're going to hop into the word. Also, I have two quotes for you guys. So to start us off, There is a term called skeleton key. And if none of you know what a skeleton key is, if you would direct your attention toward the screen, a skeleton key is a type of master key in which the serrated edges has been removed in such a way that it can open numerous locks, most commonly the warded lock. Uh, The term derives from the fact that the key has been reduced to its essential parts. And as you can see from the picture, The key on the right doesn't look like a normal key that we're used to. And then the key next to the the atypical key right here, if you can see my mouse, it's missing or it's hollowed out. So when we talk about a skeleton key or a master key to be more uh, politically correct in terms of our lesson for tonight, this master key, it can open any door in the house it can it you basically you're not limited so there's a a video game series that I really love and it's called the Elder Scrolls and within the game there's a key called the skeleton key it's a -a one-of-a-kind artifact and you can only get it by doing uh, certain certain quest requirements you have to meet a certain requirement in order to get the key by doing a quest line now video game this aside With said key, it not only has the ability to open any door in the house or any house or any building, but it also has the ability to unlock the latent potential inside of a person. Now, that's cool. But see, here's the thing with the the video game's skeleton key or its master key. There's only one, which means only one person can have it at a time. But if we look at the master key himself, who is Jesus, the key to life, the key to real joy, to peace, to to love, to happiness, to everything that we need. 
See, his key isn't limited to one person because our God is omnipotent. He can be everywhere at once. He's in every single one of us believers of our brothers and sisters. He's with me right now getting this message out. And I really appreciate him because without him, none of this is possible. So with his key, and as you can see, I have a key right here. With this key that I've been presented, I now have a choice to make because God gives us a free choice to come to him. I can take this key and I can start opening doors that I once thought were closed. I can start opening different aspects of my life that I didn't know were possible. I once thought I was a failure because of low self-esteem, but now you can't really tell me about myself in certain aspects because it's not that I'm looking for gratification from someone anymore, but no, I know who I belong to and I belong to my father. So with our key in mind, with our key in hand, I'm going to quote you guys two things that I found very intriguing for this lesson. The first of which comes from my beloved aunt, my aunt Belva. Uh, at the end of last week's Bible study, she said, and this is within the, the Bible study notes, so you guys will see it in a little bit. She said that happiness by the world's definition is circumstantial. But joy, which comes from the Lord, is eternal because of his love and his sacrifice being the reminder of said love. Things can make us happy for a moment, you know. People can make us happy. Our friends, our loved ones, they can make us happy. But the thing about happiness is, is that it can come and go. I could be happy one moment, sad the next. But see, joy, which only derives from our Heavenly Father, I could be sad about something, but I could still be joyful because I know at the end of the day, no matter what this life brings, no matter what goes on, no matter what goes bump in the night, I'm still good. I still have a heaven to go to. I still have the promise that wherever my Lord is, I too will be. I have a promise that my treasures that are being stored up for me in heaven aren't just for when I die, but they can be for here too. That if I need something, all I have to do is call my father. Hey, dad, I need some stuff. Okay, I got you. Hey, dad, I'm upset. I'm struggling. I'm I'm weak in this area. I need help. I need advice. OK, I got you. That's the God we serve. So the joy that he gives us, just like he said, it's one that this world didn't give. So they surely can't take it away. And the second of which, which really relates to this key. And then we're going to hop into the word. It came from a show called Madam Secretary. It's a political show. And in the fourth season, the 20th episode, because I put it down, especially for this moment, a reporter who was allowed 24 hour access to be with the secretary was, you know, shadowing her to get a feel of what it's like to be in her life, what it's like to walk a mile in her shoes. And there were certain cues that he picked up on to later reveal that she wanted to run for president. And one of the things that was very that made him very upset is the fact that she would always do things from a morally good standpoint. She would do it with the 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 greater good in mind. She would everything that she did, all the policy she fought for was to make sure that everyone 
could have a fair opportunity. Sounds like she's modeling somebody that we know very well. Well, the thing he said to her, and that when he said it, it rung very true for almost everyone on this planet. He said that we don't want the truth. We just want something to believe in. When you take a look at this, the status of this world, what's going on right now, and of all the things that we deal with and all the lies that we tell ourselves and to one another and to the masses, do we really want the truth or do we just want something that we can believe in that makes us feel good? Like last week when we talked about Jesus literally being the reason to celebrate life because he is life, because before him we were devoid of it. So my question poses for you guys is, do you have itching ears or do you have hungry ears? Which one? So let's hop into the word. Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 and Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20. For this lesson, we will be leaning a lot into the words of our good master. So to start us off, the Bible says, then Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And then in Matthew 28, Then the disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, the singular name that defines our plural but very one God of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And to be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we start off our lesson with Jesus presenting himself as the key. He's giving you the option to either deal with your issues, continue to believe the lie that Satan is force feeding you, like how horses have those troves attached to their head and they just eat whatever is poured into it. You can keep, you know, being like that. It's your choice. It's perfectly fine. I'm not going to judge you. That's not my job. Or allow Jesus to take the trove off of your mouth. Allow your mind, your body, and your soul to actually breathe for once. Get some true fresh air, not the air that you're just continually sucking up from eating your own spit in the food and the junk and the mess that's just being shoveled down your throat, but instead actually see. Get the, the blindfold removed from you and take the key that you're being given. And the key is his life. The key is his sacrifice. The key is the truth, which is Jesus. And take it, put it in that door which is right in front of you, which is your life, and actually walk into life. Don't stay out there in the field where all the animals just do their business and leave it alone because there's no one to tend to it. Don't stay out there in that big garbage dump that we talked about so many lessons ago. 
when we uh, discuss the four P's, but instead really let the Lord work in your life by allowing him into your life. Jesus came back after he rose and after he taught and did a couple of other things and he went to his disciples to empower them, to give them the great charge, which we've been carrying the baton to today and we will keep carrying until he comes back. And that's to baptize people, to make new disciples, to make new brothers and sisters, to expand the family, to give them something to truly base their life upon. Because like Jesus said, if you build your house on my words, then it'll be like building it on solid rock. It doesn't matter if the waves of life hit it or if there's a hurricane or anything else, your house will still stand. It may be a little bruised, but we can fix that. But the fact is, it will still be standing. Or don't build your life upon his words and keep buying into what the world says. Yeah, you're young. Go have sex. Go drink. Go smoke. Go party every single day. Do you. Do you, boo. Live your best life. And we've talked about that. There is no life outside of Jesus. But go ahead. Go live your best life again. I'm not here to judge. It's not my job. We're in the same boat. I'm just on a different side of the boat but we're all in the same boat. So whatever we do together or individually, it's going to affect the course of the boat. That's why we needed a savior because even though some people were still counted as unto righteous unto God, still needed a savior because none of us are perfect. Just to remind you that we're all in that, in that same area. We're all in the same ballpark. We all need Jesus. We all need the key if we're going to move forward. But so Jesus is back. He's ready to give the charge and people are still doubting him after they saw him die, after they saw him bring the dead back to life, after they saw him heal the cripple, cast out demons, give sight to the blind, make the deaf hear, give new eyeballs to a man, cure uncurable diseases. I mean, the list goes on in the last, like what, two, three verses of the last book of John. It literally says that if everything was written down of what Jesus had said and done, then this entire world couldn't contain the volumes because he did so much. So when we talk about circumstance not being equal to permanence, we simply talk about how what the world wants to feed you forcefully will never compare to what God wants to give you by your choice. You could get saved today. And never read the Bible ever again. That's on you. I wouldn't recommend it, but that's your choice. You'll still go to heaven, but this life will just be, ugh, it'll be blase, so to say. You'll look just like someone who isn't saved. And when someone who is potentially connected to you can get helped by what God has done in your life, you have nothing to show for it. And the best way to put it for anyone who would ever listen to this and have something negative to say. Think about it in very simple terms. Don't overcomplicate the word of God. We all know that two plus two equals four. Undeniable. You, you, you can't tell me otherwise. So if you know the truth about that, why would you put something different saying two plus two equals five or two plus two equals fish? It makes no sense. So when we tell you about the eternal living God, who doesn't want anything from you more than to just admit that you were wrong and to say you're sorry. 
and to deny what this wants, because all you really do when you do what you want to do, honestly, in nine out of 10 scenarios is you hurt yourself or you hurt someone else or you just cause pain and sow seeds of discord. But when you get saved, when you become a new creature and then we'll move on. When you do all of what God is asking you to do, well, guess what? Now your norm, what you normally do, your status quo is no longer practicing sin. As the Bible says, should we keep on sinning so that grace and mercy can be abound? Which in layman's terms mean, uh, do we keep messing up willingly so we can see how good God's grace is? No, God forbid. But instead, grace and mercy is there. So when we just mess up because we're not perfect. That when we choose the permanent, the permanence or the eternity over the, the eternal, over the, the finite, when we choose infinity over finity, we're left with something that we can actually go home. And by home, I mean to the Lord and really talk about. And I'm not going to get ahead of myself tonight. So moving on, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And in Matthew 10, verses 28 through 33. Let's see what the Lord has to tell us. So moving forward, <clears throat> Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then in Matthew 10, Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without the father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God, to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone, and Jesus does mean everyone, who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. So first and foremost in our decision between circumstances and something that will permanently last is that one, we were offered a choice to take the key or to leave the key on the table. It's your decision. Jesus isn't forcing you, but you have that choice. And now Jesus is saying again out of his own mouth, if you chose the key, well, now that you're a new creature, now that you just got rid of that, uh, what is the thing? Now that you just got rid of that mortgage because I took care of it for you. Now that the floor, the foreclosure that was on your house is now gone because guess what? I bought the property and instead of kicking you out, not only did I buy it to erase your debt, but I rebuilt the house from the ground up and I put you in it. And when you got in it, it looked strange because it was a new place. But instead of being afraid, I, I live with you. I teach you. I train you. I show you what not to do. I show you what to do. And in doing so, you are now becoming 
not only a new person, but a better version of said new person. Because literally the sky's the limit with Jesus. So he tells us don't store it there. And why so? Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. We look in the book of James and it literally tells us that we don't have anything because we don't ask God for it. And we don't get what we ask for because of the lusts that reside in our heart. And where does temptation come from? God doesn't tempt us because he can't be tempted. So he never tempts. Where does it come from? It comes from you and from me. We're tempted because we're not there yet. We're tempted because whatever tempts us is still inside of us. So what does that tell you? That means you take your master key and you open said door of wherever temptation is. And instead of opening it up and letting it just run amok, like a dog without a leash who has no training, they'll cause chaos. Or like a a wild animal that's been let out of its cage, it's going to return to its natural habitat and do what it does, what it knows how to do. And that's to be a predator. That's to cause havoc, to protect itself. Instead, you give Jesus the key because he's already given it to you. So guess what? To make it even simpler, you give him the tools that he's implanted inside of you because he's the one that does the greater work. And when you say, Father, I want to open this door together so that whatever is plaguing me, whatever is ailing me, whatever has been keeping me back, whatever part of my past is just gnawing at me, trying to pull me back into that old lifestyle, that old situation, that old relationship, that old job, that old mindset, wherever it is that I don't need to be. If we open it together, Lord, then I know because you are the key that can open any door and keep it open because whatever you open, no man can close. And I know that after you open it to get it out, to make space in there for something different, which would be more of you, then when you close it, no man can open that door. Because whatever you close, I know no one can open it back up. So if you open up the trap door that Satan tried to lay in my house to let me fall back into whatever sin was trapping me and keeping me trapped and tricked and just bamboozled. If you open it, Father, and you clean it out, then what do you do? Like the good father you are, you don't leave that door there. Instead, you take it out and you replace it with something better. Who has a trap door in their house? I surely don't. I don't want to fall randomly because I forgot where it was. Instead, my father makes a new floor away, a new pathway. And if it's a door like my closet door, my room door behind me, well, instead of it leading to nothing, God now has it to where it can lead to something else. Or if it's a person, a relationship, a mindset, he'll close the door off and bar it off and he'll put himself in front of it with the fiery sword of truth to protect you and keep you from going back through it. Because remember, if you do belong to the Most High, if you've called on that name Jesus earnestly, he saved you. And not only did he save you, he became your new starting point. So when we look at circumstantial things, like I'm happy because I got a good grade or I'm happy because I just read a really good book. I'm happy because I made a new friend. I'm happy because of some fun thing I did with my friend. That happiness will fade. We get new things 
and yeah, I'm I'm fine with it for a moment, but then it goes away because it's like, well, that's a thing. That was just a moment. It it can't really do anything for me in the long run. But what Jesus did on Calvary, dying on a cross, a criminal's death, which he didn't have to do, but he did it because he loves you and he loves me. And how do I know? Because he told me so. He loved me before I knew what love was. And he showed it to me with the sacrifice he did on the cross. And he shows us every single day with what he does through our brothers and sisters, what he does in this world. Yeah, the world is crazy, but hey, we're still here. The world is crazy. Bad things go bump in the night. But remember, God's not to blame. We make those choices. We still need a savior. But the beautiful thing is we're not waiting for a savior to come anymore to set us free. Now we're just picking up the key that he's left on the table with a little lovely note that says, I love you. The house is yours if you want it. That's the God we serve. And one day soon, he'll be coming back again. And when he comes back again, he wants to make sure that that house or the bride or the church, as the Bible says, is without spot or blemish. It's like when your parents go away for the weekend and come back home. They expect to see that everything is proper and in order. <laughs> so listen, if the parents expect that here on earth, then what more does our Heavenly Father expect? So Jesus is telling us most importantly, and we'll move on. Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of things. It's a lot of craziness going on in this world. It'll happen. He told us it would happen. Signs of the times to let us know that he's coming back soon. But like he told us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, I'm with you always until the end of the age, forever and ever, world without end, however you want to phrase it. He does not leave you. He does not forsake you because he loves you. And because of that love that is continually reminded, that's why we have joy. Because remember, the peace he gives us, the world can't give it, it can't take it away. The joy he gives us, unparamount to the fleeting happy feelings that we get when we do things that are perfectly fine. And even more so when we do things that we have no business doing. First John chapter two, verses 15 through 17, Romans chapter six, verses 20 through 23, and Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 14. And the Bible says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. Wow. Mm, we're going to come back to that. For the world offers only it only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Or as the King James Version says, they will abide forever. And we know that word and we love it. In Romans 6, it says, when you, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? That's a serious question we should ask ourselves. You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But there's that but. Now you are free from the power of sin 
and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans chapter 8, we pick right up saying, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if, mm, two magical words in the Bible, but if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. We have a lot to work with right here. First and foremost, the Bible tells us that this world can only offer you things that are physically appealing to you. Wow. So you mean to tell me that there is no true intellectual substance to be had in this world in terms of spiritually getting me together, in terms of actually helping me live a truly righteous life? Well, you don't say. There's another part of the Bible, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, I believe. It may be chapter 3, but I'm pretty sure it's chapter 2. Please fact check me. And it says in NLT to not be swayed or don't be dragged away by these empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ Jesus, who is the fullness of God and a body like yours and mine. He literally died to show us the way because he is the way and then he walks out the way for us and with us and then he blesses us. Not that we did anything to deserve it or to earn it, but because he loves us. Then we take a look at the simple fact that before God, before we were saved in Romans chapter six, we had no obligation to do the right thing and what was the result of that? I could tell you about all the time I wasted doing ridiculous things that I look back at now and like, wow, God, you've brought me a long way. I don't feel bad about it now because the guilt of sin, the main thing that sacrifices cannot take away, has now been removed because the sacrifice himself has already took it away. See, the thing about continually having to do something over and over and over again is it reminds you of the past time you had to do it. So everything that was linked to it, you're, it's brought up fresh again. When the priest had to keep giving sacrifices, oh man, I messed up bad today. Tomorrow, I messed up so bad yesterday and even more today. Can you imagine how that felt after doing that maybe 40, 50 times in a row? But see, with Jesus... Father, I died once for everyone. And if they would call on our name, the name that you gave me above every other name, because I did something that no one else could do. And not only did I do it, but I didn't do it for a selfish reason. I did it for love's sake, for our sake, for their sake, Lord. Now, when we take a look at the sacrifice, it doesn't remind me of all the bad things I've done. Instead, it reminds me of how grateful I am that I'm not that anymore, that I'm not my circumstances, but instead I am now a part of this permanent family. Remember what the Bible says? We talked about it last week and weeks prior. A slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son does, a daughter does. 
they can stay in the home because it's their home. It's their birthright. As a new creature, it is your birthright. Because not only were you grafted into the family via God's will, but because you were made over, you are now a whole new person. So that means you were born straight into the family from jump. You now belong to God and God alone. And the reminder is that name of Jesus with his blood that dripped on Calvary and the blood stained banner that we hold up and the crosses that we carry with my desires, what I want to do, what pleases me, because that doesn't get me anything. But now I take the key and I run with it freely around my neck, reminding me that, look, this is what my daddy gave me. And I'm going to use it to its fullest potential by being the best son that I can possibly be by being the best, whatever God has called you to be that you can possibly be. Well, how do you know? It's simple. You talk to him just like you talk to your parents. But then you may be saying, but the Bible just told me that we're not slaves to sin anymore. We're slaves to God. Well, also remember the vernacular that we use. Slaveship in terms of serving God isn't the derogatory term slave that we know, which means that you're forced to do something. Instead, our slaveship, we do it because we are filled to the brim with joy, with love, with peace, with tranquility, with self-control, with any and everything that is good and godly and holy. We're filled to the brim. I don't serve God because I'm forced to. I serve him because I vehemently want to. I have an innate desire that cannot be quenched unless I serve God. And it's not a bad thing anymore because I'm not serving me. Instead, I'm serving the Most High, whose name is Jesus. And when you serve him, when you do the permanent thing by storing treasure where no moths, no thief, no rust, no decay can get to, when you serve him, guess what? People get helped. People get saved. You can ask anyone who really knows me. I was a train wreck a derailed train wreck that got hit with a nuke. My life was like a battleground with missiles consistently and constantly going off, pinpointed and accurate locations to hurt me to the fullest extent. But when I got to know Jesus for myself for real, when I took my walk with the Lord for real, when I threw away what this thing wanted, my human condition, and I started wanting what God wanted. Well, life got so much better. Yeah, things still go bump in the night. Yeah, I still get upset. Yes, I still have issues to work out. But I have joy now because I know at any point before God brings me into his presence, I have something to work to and I'm actually making progress. I'm not walking in circles with my head down. I, I'm not in this rut of sin anymore to where I just keep doing the same thing over and over again, playing insanity because I can't find my way out. Instead, I've taken the helping hand and I've been lifted up and I've thrown away the circumstances that keep me in the rut that say, if you want to forget about your problems, go down a bunch of alcohol. Oh, you, you, you feeling, you feeling real, real hot and bothered. Well, you know what to do. No, it's not about that anymore. Instead, it's about what Jesus said. Come to me. I know you've got a lot of problems. I know you got a lot of issues, but I'm not here to judge you. Instead, I want to help. 
And when I help you, I promise you, it won't be like the shrink that you go see. The help I give is going to be permanent help. It's going to be help so profound, unlike you've ever seen, to where you can't help but tell the next person about it because you want to see them get better too. That's the God we serve. That's what we what we are working with currently. So then in chapter eight, we're free now because of the the glorious life that Jesus has given us. We are free from the obligation to do wrong now because we know what's right. We know now for sure that two plus two equals four. I know now for sure that if I take a red crayon and I color in the lines of whatever picture I'm, I'm coloring, it's going to be red. It's not going to be blue if I use a red crayon. But I know now that my eyes aren't deceiving me because they're open. I know now that if I go to work out my equation that I'm going to get the right answer because I know the steps to get to the right answer. Well, now that you've been presented the key, and God willing, if you haven't taken it, you're taking it down. You're taking control of your life because now you're actually getting a life. And the life that you get will be further revealed to you inside of Christ Jesus as you keep studying and praying and making the word practical. As you take this key and you go lock the doors that don't need to be opened. As you take this key and you go open up the doors that need those rooms need to be aired out. They need to be dusted. They need to be deep clean. That carpet needs to be treated. That carpet needs to be ripped up. You need some new flooring in there. When you take this key that God has, when you take the circumstances out of your life, and trust me, it's, it's, it's very easy once you really get to know God. Because as your norm changes, so too does the way you go about life. We're going to go on. And before we do, I'm going to share this very quickly with you guys. I used to keep things bottled in. I used to let the circumstances dictate what would go on with me personally. And we've talked about getting past the lie, don't believing in it, uh, noticing the flags that the lie would present to you so that you can overcome it. We've talked about introspection and all sorts of wonderful things. God is so good. But I used to let these circumstances get to me, keep me down. And before I knew it, I would just have breakdowns randomly at any given time. I would just go into depressive episodes because I was believing the lie of the circumstances. But when the Lord lifted my head up one day and he kept it centered by putting the, the brace of the word around my neck so I couldn't look down at the lies that were around me. I couldn't look down at the storm of the sea like when Peter looked down at the water and got afraid. I couldn't look down. So now when things happen, I don't contain them. I give them up. Lord, this bothered me. Lord, this bugged me. I have people in my life who God has chosen specifically a part of the family that I can talk to. Hey, hey, bro. Hey, sis. I need to talk to you. I need to get this off my chest. So that the permanence of God's joy can continually to shine brightly in your life. Because remember, we're mirrors. And as mirrors, sometimes we get a little, little smudge on us. We get a little, little stuff on us as we go throughout the day, as we go throughout life. But just like Jesus said, because you've been saved, you've been washed all over. And from time to time, your feet get dirty. So once you've been cleaned, starting at your head on down to your toes, 
Every now and then you just need to dust your toes off. You need to clean them. So I encourage you today to allow the Lord to just wipe the mirror off. Things may seem bad right now. Things may look bad tomorrow. Things may look bad next year. But remember, God's love and his sacrifice for you is permanent and it's not going anywhere. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28, and 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And the Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it because straight is the gate and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life. And there are few who find it. And then in Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. And remember, our way leads to, to death and the ways of death, according to the book of Psalms. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it because we don't have a life in the first place. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it because then we're given eternal life. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And the Lord said that in the OT that he would pay the hearts of men. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then in 1 Timothy 6, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, again, we have Jesus laying game down for us, making it very plain, making it very simple to understand so that we can know how to live this life accordingly. He tells us that if you want to get to heaven, you have to enter in at the straight gate. And remember, the straight gate is Jesus. We've discussed this. But life is so captivating. The things of life look so interesting. They seem so magnifique at times to where you might get lured away. You might seem really tempted because of what's still inside of here to want to go that way, to want to go that way, to want to go anywhere but down the, the straight path that God has carved out for you. And then you get tempted. You get thrown off. People start saying crazy and wild things that don't even make sense from a, a human perspective. But the straight way, the straight gate, and Jesus himself said, I'm the gate. I'm the life and the resurrection. I'm the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm all that you need, all that you want, all that you've been seeking. I'm everything that you could possibly hope for and then some. He says that the way 
to heaven is it's straight and narrow. And it's difficult to walk because the temptations of life, they really seem good at times. I mean, yeah, they they seem nice. I won't lie to you. But answer this. In the midst of sin, when have you ever truly felt fulfilled? In the midst of doing something you had no business doing, did you really feel it was worth it just to say you had that experience or did it make you feel terrible? Did you lose a piece of you? Did you get another hole in your soul? But see, with God, he not only restores your spirit by giving you a new one, by taking the dead and turning it to life. He's done it multiple times. He has plenty of practice. Trust me. He's 100 percent from the field. You, If you saw last week's lesson, he's 82 and 0. All the wins, no losses. And he takes those holes in our soul and he fills them, not with something like this, this Coke can. It'll go in and come out because it doesn't fit properly. But instead, he takes the key or he takes himself. And when he opens up that lock socket, it begins to permeate and it turns the old cloth that used to be there. And it's brand new. It's like when you have water in a pot and you accidentally dump some salt into it. Well, now the water's ruined. It's not pure water anymore. What God does is he drains the water out and he pours a fresh batch of water in. We can't get fresh water from this world, you guys. So if you're truly thirsty, this world ain't it. It's like that nasty water fountain at school that when you press it, algae comes out. You don't want to drink that. But you can't see the algae because of what Satan has done to the water to make it look like it's drinkable. But Jesus's water fountain isn't even a fountain. It's a river. There's nothing to conceal the water. You just see it for what it is. And he offers you that water, not some fountain that's connected to some industrial thing that's doing all sorts of processes that we want to know nothing about. But he shows you straight up. This is what I'm offering. This is for you. Take the key. Get rid of the circumstance. Get rid of the things that look nice. Get rid of the things that feel nice. Instead, take the thing that's actually going to give you somewhere to go in the end. Because, yeah, you could live this life like you want to, but like the Bible says, it'll be the only heaven you ever know. Hell is real, but you don't have to go there. And then Jesus says to follow him. If you want to follow him, give this up. You don't want it. You don't you don't need it. You may think you want it, but you trust me, you, you don't want this. It, it, it's, it's not right. It's not it. This isn't it. And then lastly, we talk about the love of money. Well, Jesus himself says that you love one master and hate the other. You can work for one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money or mammon and mammon being money, things that you put before God, people, places, ideals, philosophies, anything that you could try to put above God. Because when you start chasing after richness, not necessarily, not necessarily monetary things, but richness and knowledge, richness in people, richness in, in ideas and ideologies, richness in things, It'll put you on the wrong path that you don't need to be on, that you don't have to be on. Because there is a savior and because he gave us a key to the house. Because if we take the key, we can become permanent members of the home. 
and we'll never have to worry about being evicted. Well, then wouldn't you want that? You could lose your job today. The lights could go off right now, even though the bill is paid. I could drop if God so willed it. My computers could all crash and this would be rendered nothing except for you guys. But because his word and his works are eternal, even if all else fails, guess what? I have joy because I know I'm saved, I'm set free, and I'm being continuously sanctified. So we wrap up in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave, or hell, as the King James Version says, gave up their dead. And all, not a single one, but every single person to have lived and ever will live, were judged according to their deeds, just as God said he would do. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. In Romans chapter 10, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes in Christ as Savior, resulting in his justification, that is being made righteous, being freed from the guilt of sin and made acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses their faith openly, resulting in and confirming their salvation. And then in Revelation 3.20, to wrap us up, Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If, and I made this if as big as I possibly could, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus said that there is no greater love that a man hath for his friends than to lay his life down for them. And I call you friend. You're not slaves anymore because I told you everything that my father has told me. And the master doesn't confide in the slave, but instead in his friend. So Jesus is saying, if you hear my voice, if you hear me calling out to you, then for anyone who has ears to hear, let them listen that God wants to save you, that he doesn't want you to die and go to hell because you saw the key, you saw the message that he left for you on the table. You saw him at the door through the peak hole. You saw him at the door knocking from outside the window and you never let him in because what? It felt good to have sex with somebody. It felt good for five seconds. It felt good to get drunk every other day. You feel terrible when you have a hangover. It felt good to smoke that blunt. Did it really? Because you got to keep going back to it. It's like scratching when you have eczema. It's a rash that keeps spreading. Sin may feel good for a moment, like Paul said, but that's it. It felt good for the moment. But the wages of sin, as we read, are death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life. So take the key. Don't just look at it on the table. Pick it up if you don't know God. Take it. Open the door. Let him in. You, you have nothing to lose. It's a free offer. I'm telling you from experience. And if you do know him, then remember that you have the key. And remember that this key that God gave you is not limited to anything that we can understand. But instead, his word, his works, his power, they work exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask for or hope for. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer saying, thank you, Lord. We thank you that the, the veil that the enemy has tried to keep over our eyes has been removed, that the circumstances of this life, of our quote-unquote happiness, of anything else, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, God, because they too are fading away, just like this world. But you, God, you and your word, which is our Savior, whose name is Jesus, the unified name of the triune God, Lord. Because of him, because of his sacrifice, because of your unfailing love for us, your fallen creation that you had to go and pick up from the depths of hell, because of all that you've done, that you're doing, and that you're going to do, God, we thank you, Lord, because without you, there is no life. There is no love. There is no liberty. There is no nothing. But thanks be unto you and your precious name, Jesus, that when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness can't comprehend it. It can't do anything to stop it. It's defeated. And more so, it can do nothing to replicate the light. Though the kingdom of darkness may try its best to look like the kingdom of righteousness, it can never pass for your true holiness, O God, and we thank you. Heavenly Father, if there's someone who heard this message and doesn't know you, I pray right now that this word has touched their heart and that they would give them their lives fully and completely over unto you, Christ Jesus. Because without you, this life is nothing because there is no life and we're just here waiting to die. We could have fun, quote unquote, in the process. But like you said, what does it profit us to gain everything but to lose the one thing that's most important to us, and that's our soul. And for Father, for all those who do know you, remind them of the simple fact that our Father, that our Dad, that our Big Brother, that our Savior, that our King has no limits to what he can do. And that if we just need something done, all we have to do is to put our trust in you. And be reminded of everything that you did prior, because it's what you did prior. And the most important thing you did prior was save us and raise us to life. So let that be a reminder to any brother and sister who's going through something right now, that with man, it's impossible. But with you, oh God, just as Jesus promised us, all things are possible. So Lord, as we accept you continuously as the God of all possibilities, I ask that you would make it more possible for us to just trust you that much more, God, for our mustard seed faith to be expanded into a field so that when we need something done, when we need to fight the good fight, when we need to go out there and proclaim your name boldly, that we're constantly reminded that we're not alone, but instead we have you. Oh, almighty God, backing us, that there is a countless number 
of witnesses on the cloud, which is our family, who were there to testify. And just as Elisha, and I believe that's the right one, God, told his, his little steward when he prayed that his eyes would be open, there are more for us than there are those against us. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the nourishment that it provided. And we ask above all else that your will and your way would be done in all of our lives and in this world. It's these things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, family. I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.